327 Bhagavad Gita study group. And the first chapter was um, observing the armies on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Second was contents of the Gita summarized. Third is karma yoga. Four is transcendental knowledge. Five is karma yoga action in Krishna consciousness. And six is dhyana yoga. So Krishna, beginning of this chapter, he's emphasizing that yoga actually doesn't mean just renunciation. Actually, yoga means to give up activities based on sense gratification. Actually, to give up desire for sense gratification. So he is then describing dhyana, meditation, how to control the mind. So chapter 6 is really about controlling the mind, controlling the senses, and in this way one can actually be a yogi. And as we're going to read today, that highest yogi is um, a devotee who can actually control the mind. Because at a certain point, I believe last week, Arjuna says, because Krishna lays out the Eightfold Yoga process of Ashtanga Yoga, and Arjuna says, this is very, very difficult. This is very difficult. And Krishna says, yes, it is very difficult. Um, but one can, can be successful through practice and detachment. Um, and then, as we're going to be getting into today also, Krishna is saying, because Arjuna asked, well, what happens to the unsuccessful yogi? So this emphasized how difficult the practice of yoga is. He says, well, will they disappear like a riven cloud disappears in the sky? And Krishna says, no. One who does good, my friend, is never overcome by evil. So, yeah, so this, this chapter is very beautiful, and it's a segue into, I believe, knowledge of the Absolute, which chapters 7 through 12 is the heart of the Gita. So we're kind of just paving the way to get into the heart. And then it's topped off by the next six chapters, which really um, bring home the purpose of Bhagavad Gita. Um, so do you all have any, just quickly before we share, do you have any thoughts on what we've learned so far in chapters one through six, um, first five chapters? It's a lot. And anything that you feel like, in this conversation that's taking place, in the progression, um, like what, how Krishna is enlightening Arjuna. Um, can you see any patterns or anything that stands out to you specifically? Me personally, I just, I'm just blown away by how the Gita is yeah. you know, giving, giving instruction. So, I mean, I'm only in chapter 6. And I mean, it's just like Krishna's covering all the all the bases, you know. And it's it's really beautiful because it's just such a powerful book. It really does answer all the questions that we have, and really excited to see what's going to happen in the next, you know, x amount of chapters until the end. So, I'm really really excited. You can see why I'm here, David Rose. That I I had to bathe my intellect in this stupendous has marginal teachings of Bhagavad Gita. I really liked the, I think it was before he even gave instruction, he kind of like broke down how everything works. Like, I remember me reading about, you know, lust and how it's turned into this and that and anger. And, and he broke it down in such a way that it was so clear. Like, there I didn't have any questions. Wait, this sounds kind of weird. No, nothing. Like, it was just like, this is this, this is that. I like how he, like, laid everything down. Like, this is why I'm... Pretty much saying, like, this is why I have to instruct you because this is going on. So I liked how he did that. And then as he did that, then he would give instructions. So it was, it was almost, like, natural. Like, you wanted instruction. Like, oh, my God, look this is going on, so what can I do? And then he just naturally gave it to you. So I liked how yeah. that was. 
Yeah, that's a great realization because that's really how Bhagavad Gita is. It's like every time you want to know something, all of a sudden Krishna is is telling us. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's you know that book, Perfect Questions, Perfect Answers. It's really like that. It's like just one after another, Krishna is answering every question that we can possibly think of. <laughs> and then re-emphasizing it and, and saying it in different ways and different angles and so and he's saying really heavy things but because Krishna has surrendered soul he's friend of Krishna Krishna is able to say and Krishna says it in such a beautiful way powerful way but he's also addressing Arjuna with great respect you know oh son of Prita he's, he's saying no very Nice way, but he really what he's doing is he's 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 saying that Arjuna is overcome by lust. Yeah, that's really what he's telling us. He's, he's saying very heavy things. <laughs> he's saying it in such a wonderful way. Like at the end of my day, Arjuna's like, "My hair is standing on end. <laughs> I'm just ecstatic." <laughs> so, yeah, for, for me, I think it's been pretty much what you both said. You know, in that way. Um, the other thing is, is I've always thought of all the all the spiritual type of books that I've read over the time the Bhagavad Gita stood as unique in the sense where it, here you're hearing directly from the words of the Lord, you know, and it's it, it just it, the way it's it it's structured and everything else is just so incredible. It always hit as number one on my book as far as even when I didn't really understand it that much you know and now just beginning to kind of understand a little bit you know um, it's just amazing it reminds me of, of uh, there, there's a you know there's, and there's been a lot of movies inspired by it you know I don't know if you've, if you've seen that movie with Will Smith the golf yeah, movie it's based on the Bhagavad Gita um, yeah it's called Bagger Van, The Legend of Bagger Vance you ever seen this well anyway what it is it's, it's surrounded by golf but actually, Will Smith is playing kind of Krishna, and the and the and the actual golfer is played by Matt Matt Damon. Damon. Yeah, and and he's his name is Juna. Okay, <laughs> so it's in the deep south, and it's about you know it's based on that thing. It's a wonderful thing, and the, and the director and the whole person of the film said he based it on the Bhagavad Gita. You know. And it's really interesting. And there's a one scene in the locker room that reminds me of this. But it, it, in a lot of ways, it's a direct, you know, it's very direct, you know. Krishna is talking very directly, really, to a journey, you know. And the movie kind of plays with that a little bit, you know. They're in the locker room, and, and Arjuna is playing, uh, actually Krishna, Will Smith, is playing his caddy instead of his chariot driver, you see. That's how they're using that. So he's shining his, he's, he's taking care of his shoes like that. And uh, so Juna, the character of June, is, is being just frustrated by the whole golf thing. He's, you know, it's, this, this, everything's just, you know, there's, after life there's just nothing. You know, we just die and there's nothing. That's what the reality is. There's nothing there. And so he said, so, so what you're telling me, you know, Will Smith's character says, what you're telling me is there's nothing there. It's just you die and then you just go and there's nothing out there. It's just it's nothing, all like that. He's, he said, yeah, he's just, uh-huh. He said, you know, that's the most stupidest thing I think I've ever heard in my entire life. It's a great line. It's a great scene, you know. So what I'm saying is is that, that, that this book inspired a lot of things, too, in people. I think it all, even people who don't know. You know, if you go into academia and you say Bhagavad Gita, they know the Bhagavad Gita. People know the, the word in the Bhagavad Gita. And whether they know the proper way, you know, how to interpret it, that's another thing altogether, but the least they know of it. And I think it's what makes it such a, an incredible, you know, uh, book. And in many ways, just influence on people, without even people realizing they're being influenced by it. You know, so it makes it so unique. Yeah. But you know, we should show the movie maybe that. Yes. Oh, when we don't have any. That's really a, a creative way to it was very creative and now you took some <laughs> liberties here and there but it's entertaining it's a movie but yeah but it's it you thought they did a pretty good job of doing it yeah it's very good we should watch it and then maybe we, we think it's then you can discuss yeah. it yeah legend of bagger hands yeah. yeah i have it on dvd so okay
What's that? Oh, you can go ahead and first? Okay. Okay. So my discovery, I took it out of um, um, the 44th verse purport um, in chapter 6. And it was that quote that came actually out of the Srimad Bhavatam. Uh, it said, O oh my Lord, persons who chant the holy names of your Lordship as are far, far advanced in spiritual life, even if born in families of dog eaters. Such chanters have undoubtedly performed all kinds of austerities and sacrifices, bathed in all sacred places, and, and finished all scriptural studies. Um, so my understanding of that is I kind of went right to the, the, to the Srimad Bhavatam verse of that, and in the purport, it actually has a really good Again, Srila Prabhupada is about better explaining this than I am, as far as understanding goes, um, wherever we'll be. Um, and so, he says that as it's stated in the previous verse, a person who has once offensively chanted the holy name of God becomes immediately eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices. One should not be astonished by this statement of the Srimad Bhavatam. One should not disbelieve or think how, by chanting the holy name of the Lord, one can become a holy man to be compared to the most elevated Brahman. The eradic uh, uh, to eradicate such doubts in the minds of unbelievers, this verse affirms that the stage of chanting the holy name of the Lord is not sudden, but that the chanters have already performed all kinds of Vedic rituals and sacrifices. It is not very astounding, for n uh, no one in this life can chant the holy name of the Lord unless he has passed all lower stages, such as performing the Vedic ritualistic sacrifices, studying the Vedas, and practicing good behavior like that of the Aryans. All this must first be, uh, be done, have been done. Just as a student in a law class is to be understood to have already graduated from general education, anyone who is engaged in the chanting of the Holy Name of the Lord uh, must have already passed all lower stages. So basically, that's, uh, that really talks about the meaning of that verse. As far as application goes, um, keep chanting. Chanting is Lord Chaitanya's gift to us in the form of japa or kirtan. Uh, chanting the holy names purifies all. The Lord's name and himself are no different. And I took a little quote that Srila Prabhupada had out of, uh, I guess he did a talk or something. I, it, it didn't really say where it came from. Uh, but it was from the, uh, uh, one of the, the legitimate sources there for the quotes. And it was specifically talking about japa. Japa is an art. It is a gift from Krishna. We have to take advantage of it. You have to put your heart into it, and not just chant off rounds mechanically. Feel your chanting, believe in it, adhere to it, and be sorry you're not doing better. But rise to the occasion. There's always another chance, another bead, another round. And I always like that quote. Well, anyway, so that kind of explains the application of that. Just keep chanting. Yeah. You know. He's really he's from Germany. He's a sannyasi, but he's really like a heart type of guru, like that way he's like speaking very emotionally. Mm. And he was giving a class one time, he was like, look at these monkeys here. They, they don't have a human form of life. And they just, they're just wishing that they had a human body so that they could chant. <laughs> <laughs> they're not able to chant Hare Krishna. That's true. So, <laughs> so it's like, I have 8,400,000 species of life. You have the rare human form. And then in that human form to be able to have access to the holy names, which, like you were reading, is, a is one is said to have surpassed all the Vedic rituals and um, yoga systems, and to be able, given the holy names, to be able to chant the holy names. And, um, you know, in, from the Vedic perspective, we only have so many breaths. Our, our life is counted by the number of breaths. So we don't know when our last breath is. So that's why Lord Chaitanya he says, he says, Kirtaniya um, Sadahari, and we should chant incessantly. Uh, that was the Lord's instruction to us. Um, so if we're chanting incessantly, we're definitely going to be chanting at the end through the Lord's mercy. We also chant at the end. So um, 16 rounds is there, but we should also be chanting off our beads. On our beads and off our beads. Uh, we can always be singing to ourselves. Whatever we're doing. Especially if we live in the temple. Or, or even if you're you know, like a nanny type job, that's, that's an easy job to chant. So, 
He's along the lines of his verse, so I think okay. it would tie in. Yeah, I kind of chose the same verse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it would tie funny. in. Out of all the verses, we chose the same one. Um, it's a little bit lower than the ones you chose, a little bit where it says, that unless therefore one is purified, one cannot take to the principles of Krishna consciousness or become engaged in chanting the holy name of the Lord, Hare Krishna. So... You know, I wrote something down here. I usually don't, but I figured I'd write something. And I said that we can't see or remember all the activities that have led to this very point in our lives when we become receptive to the holy names. It's quite fascinating to think about. The verses above indicate that we have performed every kind of austerity and sacrifice, seen every holy place, and studied every holy scripture. So... This process of purification, to my understanding, has been going on for who knows how many past lives. And somehow, by, by the grace of Krishna, they have culminated to this very moment when we finally take shelter of Krishna and chant His holy names. Wow. So we've made it this far. This is my application. If we've made it this far, then there's really no time to look back. With the help of Guru and Krishna, let's take it all the way. So, it's just kind of... I mean, because you think about all these people that come to our table every day at, at, at the U of A. We don't really think about what has happened or transpired in the person's life to lead them to the table. Table to want to be receptive to taking a book or even listening to us. You see what I'm saying? There's just It's so fascinating to think about. We don't think that way because all we see with our limited senses is what's happening here and now. So we don't really take into consideration and account everything that's happened in a person's life to lead them to that point. So I just thought that it's really interesting to think about. So yeah. anyway. Well, uh, um, of course, Lord Chaitanya gave the analogy that it's like a garden. And our receptivity depends on how we've been cultivating um, the spiritual life how many lifetimes, how many births. Yeah. You know, so like why, like you said, why is it that someone hears or sees the devotees and becomes attracted and then another person uh, isn't so interested? It's right. because they're more fertile to receive Krishna consciousness. Right. Like some people like come to the temple and they feel like, wow, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Like finally I'm home. Like this right. is, it feels so natural. Yeah. And other people, it's, it seems so foreign. I mean, it's it felt, it felt very like very much like home to me. Yet it's it's supposed to be foreign. Like I didn't grow up in you know Vaishnava culture or, or Indian culture or Vedic culture. Right. Okay. So why does it why does it feel so natural, so much like home? Like it has to be that we're picking up where we left off. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to take birth anymore. How many times, I mean, Krishna's saying, you know, we never lose it, but until we actually develop that love for Krishna, we have to take birth. <laughs> yeah. I think it's time to end that. Yeah. For sure. It's funny because you quoted mine in the beginning. I, I chose um, text 40. And it says, the Supreme Personality of God had said, Son of Prita, a transcendentalist engaged in auspicious activities does not meet yeah, does not meet with destruction either in this world or in the spiritual world. One who does good, my friend, is never overcome by evil. This stood out to me because one of the questions that I had um, growing up, like in Christian church and stuff. I would hear a lot about the enemy, oh, the enemy, and the enemy this, and and I would say, well, what about someone that's like, you know, wholeheartedly trying to, you know, get to know God and do good and be a good person and all this stuff, right? 
why do they have to like struggle with this enemy why does the enemy come and like because some people would say like oh i really wanted to do this but the enemy got me in you know and and i wouldn't get it i'm like if you really wanted to do it then you should have just done it like why 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 does the enemy get so much credit like I, I thought God, God was more powerful, so what's going on? Like, I, I never got that. So it was very discouraging. Very discouraging and frustrating. Because it's like, okay, well, you know, if, if I do want to pursue this and I do want to do good, then I have to deal with the enemy? And, like, you know, like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, anyways, but this is very beautifully put and I love it because as opposed to that is very encouraging it's very encouraging and it's which leads me into my application just keep chanting keep going forward keep reading all this stuff so yeah Thanks. yeah no, another beautiful thing about Bhagavad Gita is Krishna makes it very clear what the enemy is yeah it's like in, in American Christianity is kind of like it was this entity. Evil, demon, devil, whatever. Yeah, it's out to get you. Yeah. And, and you also made a good point. People that say that, they, they're embracing that, that negativity, that evil. Yeah. And that's why you can't get rid of it because you're... Um, it's kind of like if you have darkness, the only way to get rid of the darkness is to, to bring the light in. That's the only way. Or if you have a dirty room, the only way to clean it up is to take the dirt and move it out. Exactly. Um, with the cleaning, like the water and cleaning products and things like that. So if you just push the dirt around, it's still going to be there. You're still going to be dealing with the dirt. Yeah. You're going to be swimming in the mud, so to speak. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but that, like in, in the Bhagavad Gita, it's very clear. How do we get rid of that darkness? How do we get rid of the dirt in our heart? Um, by adding Krishna, by turning towards God. Yeah. Uh, okay, I guess we all shared. Oh, that was... Let's see. Murray Mohini. She uh, sent in her realizations. So she chose um, chapter 6, text 44. You too, Becky, right? <laughs> Unless, therefore, one is purified, one cannot take to the principle of Krishna consciousness, nor become engaged in chanting the holy name of the Lord. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Understanding. The example of Takur Haridas is given. He was a disciple of Lord Chaitanya's and chanted 300,000 holy names of the Lord daily. It was understood that in his previous life, he must have passed through all the ritualistic methods of the Vedas. So, must one, so one must have done some austerities and purifications in previous lives in order to take to Krishna consciousness. Application. Is the implication of this that I must have performed some purified rituals and austerities in previous lives? I will do my best to continue to follow the prescriptions of the Lord in my humble and gradual way to perfection in bhakti yoga. So there's three different ways to attain perfection or to be perfect. One is nichasada. Nichasiddha means eternally perfect, never has fallen. Then there is sadhana siddha, that means through the practice of sadhana, the process of yoga, one can step by step attain to the perfect stage. Another is kripa siddha. Kripa siddha means you just get a whole bunch of mercy dumped on you. <laughs> Krishna can just say, because he's God, he can say, damn. So generally, this is true. We've cultivated it in our past. But also, Lord Chaitanya came to give the highest to the lowest. He came to pour his mercy on everybody. doesn't matter, qualified or unqualified. Now, general, generally, um, those who take to the process quickly and who dive in deeply, they've had experience in their past life. Um, because it's not easy as, as Arjuna... It's realizing in Krishna is confirming in this chapter it's not easy. It's, it's difficult. The yoga process is difficult. So it's very likely, Mari Mohini, that yes, you have done uh, many, many lifetimes of the yoga process, and you've also 
been touched by bhakti yoga before, it's very likely that you were um, you were very advanced in many ways on the path of yoga. So this is true. <laughs> um, okay, so let's see. I think I picked a different one. Okay. So, <laughs> so this is uh, from a purport to 647. This is part of the purport. One who sticks to a particular point and does not make further progress is called by that particular name, karma yogi, jnana yogi, or dhyana yogi, raja yogi, hatha yogi, etc. If one is fortunate enough to come to the point of bhakti yoga, it is to be understood that he has surpassed all other yogas. Therefore, to become Krishna conscious is the highest stage of yoga, just as when we speak of Himalayan, we refer to the world's highest mountains, of which the highest peak, Mount Everest, is considered to be the culmination. It is by great fortune that one comes to Krishna consciousness in the path of bhakti yoga to become well situated according to the Vedic direction. The ideal yogi concentrates his attention on Krishna, who is called Shamasundar, who is as beautiful, beautifully colored as a cloud, whose lotus-like face is as effulgent as the sun, whose dress is brilliant with jewels, and whose body is flower-garlanded. Illuminating all sides is his gorgeous luster, which is called the Brahma Jyoti. He incarnates in different forms, such as Rama, Nishingha, Varaha, and Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And he descends like a human being as the son of Mother Yashoda, and he is known as Krishna, Govinda, and Vasudev. He is the perfect child, husband, friend, and master, and he is full with all opulences and transcendental qualities. If one remains fully conscious of these features of the Lord, he is called the highest yogi. Of course, this is from the verse, Yogi Nama Pisarga Shama of all yogis, the one, with, the one who with great faith always abides within me, thinks of me within himself, and renders transcendentally love and service to me. He is the most intimately united with me in yoga and is the highest of all. So Krishna is saying, yes, the bhakti yogi is the highest. Uh, there's no higher yoga. He, in the previous verse he says, yogi is better than the transcendentalist, better than the fruitive worker. He says, in all cases, be a yogi. And he emphasizes loving devotion. So then the understanding? Srila Prabhupada makes a brilliant analogy of the path of bhakti yoga to traversing a trail up to the highest mountaintop. Yoga processes other than bhakti are to be considered aids or a springboard to elevate towards the highest peak of Krishna consciousness. If one, however, remains fixed, fixated on karma, jnana, dhyana, hatha, yoga, etc., without the key ingredient bhakti, then one continues to circulate the lower, lower stratosphere of the mountainous region without making substantial progress to the highest peak, which is the goal. When one attains the topmost destination, there must be a prize to designate the achievement of the successful pilgrim. That prize of all prizes is described here as being full, as being full concentration on the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, to be absorbed in his sweet, soft, graceful, and stunning features, to understand and meditate deeply on his unmatched qualities, such as his transcendental sweetness, kindness, playfulness, endearing, and ever-fresh nature. His pastimes of youth, sporting among the groves and rivers of Rajadam, the highest attainment of the highest yogi is the ultimate prize of, the, of this supreme meditation. Enabling the bhakti yogi through transcendental vision and full absorption to enter into the highest stratosphere of Krishna's supreme abode. So it is it's a reward. It's given by Krishna. It's like Mother Yashoda is a perfect example. She's struggling and Krishna allows himself to be tied. So it's, it's a reward, it's a given. And Krishna sees we really want him, and he says, okay, he'll reveal himself to us. So the applic application, I pray not to dally in lower engagements and quickly, steadily devote myself to the highest path, bhakti yoga, calling for mercy to always remember Krishna, never forget. To never lose sight of the topmost destination, the highest peak of existence, Krishna's lotus feet. With my eyes focused on the prize through his grace, one day I pray to attain even a trace of love for that transcendental coward boy. When you think about the religions of the world, I won't point to any specific one. Would you say that most of them are operating within the sphere of karma yoga? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. Kind of what I 
comes to mind too. Yeah, because they're linking with the Lord to right. gain something generally. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is yoga. It's yoga. <laughs> it's like you said. It's like a springboard. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Christ- Christianity has been a, a springboard for us to some degree. I would Absolutely. say. So, yeah, I know it's it helped me. Um, definitely, because when I was a kid going to church, we learned prayer and we learned, yeah. you know, some qualities of humility and, you know, forgiveness and things like that. So, it all helps. So, and the idea about surrendering, you know, to Jesus, surrendering to, you know. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Alright, so what happens if one takes to the practice of spiritual life, i.e. yoga, but is unsuccessful in attaining perfection? He's born into a family, you know, it depends, like, I think they give different, um, I think Prabhupada gives different things that that could potentially transpire, like, um, you can be born into a family of, of, of rich aristocracy for example, where you have the facilities to, to focus on your spiritual development. So therefore, it makes it easier for a person to, to do so. Um, in other cases, you know, you might be born into a family of transcendentalists, you know, people who are very wise. And in the same way, it's going to really help you kickstart where you left off and, and hopefully give you that push to, to reach perfection. Yeah, nice. Anybody have anything they should add? Yeah. It's in the 40th verse. Yeah. Supreme Personality of God has said, Son of Prita, a transcendentalist engaged in auspicious activities does not meet with destruction. Either in this world or in the spiritual world, one who does good, my friend, is never overcome by evil. Um, so I think he, he made a distinction between or is that in the next one okay in the next one he's going to make the distinction that you were talking about he does talk about in this particular verse so he talks about the, the that it may be understood, the board may be understood as follows, humanity may be divided into two sections, namely the regulated and the non-regulated. So he does talk about that. Those who are engaged simply in, in bestial sense gratifications without knowledge of their next life or spiritual salvation along belong to the non-regulated section. And those who follow the principles prescribed duties in the scriptures are classified amongst the regulated section. So, but he goes on and on and on and talks yeah. about that. That reminds me of a verse in the Bible. I don't remember exactly where it is, but Krishna says, um, "Those who give up scriptural injunctions and act according to their whims attain neither perfection um, nor the supreme destination." So, um, neither perfection nor happiness nor the supreme destination. So, those who act whimsically according to lust. They throw out Sastra. Vartate Kama Karataha. They act according to Kama or lust. So it's interesting because our society makes us think if you act whimsically according to lust, then you're you're fun. You're you're like the life of the party. Like if you're a spontaneous sense enjoyer, it's like let's go get, you know. It's gonna be, you know, six pack, or like, all right, now let's, you know, let's do like whatever. Like, there's so many <laughs> varieties of things. Like, the materialists are very spontaneous, and that's the, how we see spontaneity is in terms of sense gratification. But you know, to be regulated, the materialists would think, oh, that's what a boring way to live. Regulated, but the reason is to regulate is to curb that sense gratification, to be able to. Uh, unlock the spiritual senses to be able to experience that joy and bliss within of spiritual life. Because as long as the sense gratification propensities and activities are prominent, 
that blocks the inner life. It like creates a, a more of a barrier between the soul and God. Because it's just more of the same. It's like we're doing the more of the same we've done in the material world for however many <laughs> unlimited births, <laughs> basically. So for yogis, regulation is good. Regulation. We tell it to materialists, they say, regulation, like, that's so boring. <laughs> Waking up early every day, you know, prayer practice, and constraining, <clears throat> you know, the senses of your objects, you know. I like the example of, like, if you want to get healthy, before you can even begin to you know, put nutrition into your body, you have to first detox the body. So the body has to go through a cleansing phase first, you know? In the same way, if you have a house that's filthy and you try to put new furniture in it, it makes no sense, even to the mundane person. They know right away, I have to clean this home first. I have to clean everything, and then I can begin to put in the furniture and I can begin to decorate it and make it look beautiful. So in the same way, spiritual life is no different. There is this process of purification that unlocks that bliss, that joy that is who we are at the core of, of the soul. You know, so it, I, don't, I don't understand why it's such a difficult concept to grasp, I guess, for spirituality, because there's so much speculation, you know, and everyone thinks that no one knows then it's always difficult to really make it that simple. But spiritual life is, it really is simple. I mean, if you think about it. It's simple for the simple It's, yeah. <laughs> it's complicated yeah. for the quick So it's, you gotta, you gotta, you know, we're purging, we're detoxing, we're doing all these things, and we have to, you know? So. Yeah, that's a great, that's a really great point. Yes. Yeah. And you can speak about that, because you and your wife are very clean. <laughs> cleanliness, cleanliness is godliness. It's godliness. Because actually, this whole chapter is about remember, it's about controlling the mind, bringing the mind under control. And like the materialists, you're 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 inquiring like why? It's because they have faith. They still have faith that to have mental like enjoyment through the mind and senses that that brings happiness, and that's why they still believe in that. So they believe in that materialistic enjoyment um, so they can't they can't understand why would you why would you control your senses like I'm gonna I'm gonna get away with everything I can to enjoy my senses that's how they think like I'm gonna push it to the limit you know I live within the law so I don't get arrested or whatever but I even heard that they, even they, they will justify those senses as something that's holy you know, they'll do that too. Oh, yeah. you know, I, I've heard that before. I mean, they'll they'll sit there and say they'll make all kinds of excuses. Well, you know, I, whatever it is, whatever they're choosing to have sense gratification with, but they'll they'll choose to use that. Well, that's my, that's how I celebrate God, or that's how I do this and do that. And it's 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 like, okay, yeah, but yeah, you know. Wants us to have this experience to experience all the senses because God is like all all unlimited possibilities and experiences. So I have to go through essentially all this trouble <laughs> because it's my it's my it's my prerogative. It's my obligation to do so. And I'm I'm here in this life in this body, so I might as well do it, right? So that's that's I hear that a lot. Yeah, and you think about that really with, uh, that's really true with uh, sex. Yeah. The idea of sex. I mean, it's hard you know, practices and things like that. Maharishi was big in that. And, and yeah. also Tantra is really big in India. I mean, it's been big for a long time. But again, it's all this justifying, you know, improper behavior as being something that's wholly you can control. Like deity or something would or something like that and they really look at themselves in that high way and they don't really understand that that's not that's not gonna do it for you that that's not the right way to go um, but they have to be where they gotta be you know I mean I, I'm not judging but I'm just saying that that's 
something to happen. And they do do it all the time. You know? I mean, it's a great, it's it's a great illusion. They're greatly deluded. And uh, see, the difference, see, we all have sense gravitatory propensities. That's why we're in this world. So the difference is, is a devotee doesn't see it as good. They don't justify it. Like a devotee recognizes their weaknesses and prays to the Lord sincerely to try to overcome those weaknesses. So that's the difference. It's not that, I mean, on the path of, to perfection, we're, we're still going to have different conditionings, different desires. But the, um, we can see in the lives of the saints, like uh, Bill Michael Tagore, who was addicted to a prostitute, and he became a very dear devotee of the Lord. But he never justified his actions. And he, he got so frustrated with himself that he ended up gouging out his eyes. <laughs> anyway, it's a long story. But he went to Vrindavan. He gouged out his eyes. He did some, he did, he, it, the lust pushed him to the point he just was so disgusted with himself. He wanted to be a devotee, but he gouged out his eyes. And, and kind of side note to that. Jesus Christ has a verse in the Bible that says yeah. that if you're ever overcome with lust, chop off your right hand or yeah. pull out your eyes. Yeah. It's quite interesting. I just wanted yeah. to say that. It's not that, we, yeah. it's not that um, we're supposed to do that too. That's, but the, the idea is is that like, I'm just trying to demonstrate the mood of a devotee compared yes. to a materialist. Yes. Like how they feel about sense gratification. They're not right. thinking like, oh, you know, Krishna wants to enjoy... You know, through my material senses. Well, Krishna doesn't want to enjoy materially. Krishna doesn't doesn't even he doesn't want to taste anything material. He doesn't have material senses. Right. He's enjoying transcendentally. That would be a major downgrade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like it's like some of the sadhus in India that will sit there and try to simulate Shiva by smoking a lot of ganja. Yeah. You know, you just can't do that. You know, they'll smoke all day long, all day long. That's all you see them doing. You know, so it's, again, you know, it's trying to also imitate something you cannot do, you know. Um, so, you know, it's, just don't do those things, you know. And, and it just, just sucks you right into the sense gratification. It doesn't really, like you say, it, it, it totally distracts you from what you really need to do. And it's hard for people to, they're so addicted, so addicted. And I, I, I mean, you know, we all fight it to a certain extent, I guess. But the thing is, is that it's just being aware that you're actually, this is something you need to avoid in the fighting. Yeah, and we know and the solution. That's a huge shift right there. You're going to be aware of that. You know? yeah. Some people just avoid things. They just walk through life. You know? Well, we want to be purified. Yeah. But they don't think that any purification is needed. Right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Maya is very tricky. Mm-hmm. So Maya can make make up seem like it's down and down seem that's like right. it's up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a couple more questions. So we already touched on this, but there's a little bit. He gives a little more detail about the distinction here. Mm-hmm. The two types of unsuccessful yogis and what happens to them. Anybody want to? Okay, those who are following the rules and regulations of the scriptures for material happiness may be further, further divided into two classes. Those who are fruitive workers and those who desire no fruit for sense gratification. Those who are after fruitive results for sense gratification may be elevated to a higher standard of life, even to the higher planets. But still, because they are not free from material existence, they are not following the truly auspicious path. The only auspicious activities are those which lead one to liberation. Any activity which is not aimed at ultimate self-realization or liberation from the material bodily concept of life is not at all auspicious. Activity in Krishna consciousness is the only auspicious activity. And anyone who voluntarily accepts all bodily discomforts for the sake of making progress on the path of Krishna consciousness can be called a perfect transcendentalist under severe austerity. And because the Eightfold Yoga system is directed towards ultimate realization of Krishna consciousness, such practice is also auspicious, and no one who is trying his best in this matter need fear degradation. Yeah. This is really interesting because, you know, it says here, 
Anyone who, is, who voluntarily accepts all bodily discomforts for the sake of making progress. Well, when Jesus says that if your right hand causes you to sin, chop it off, yeah. essentially what he's meaning by that is you have to be willing to take that sacrifice. So it's all yagya. So Jesus is speaking of yagya too, and Vedas speak of yagya. The problem is that a lot of people don't understand what Jesus means, but Jesus is literally saying the same exact same thing. Jesus is hardcore. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so so um so the persons who follow the Vedas for fruit of gain, they can attain to the higher planets. Yeah. So that's just I have many years of enjoyment on the planets. Um after many years of enjoyments on the planets of the pious living entities is born to a family of righteous people or into a family of rich aristocracy. Now, this is distinct from this is following the Vedas for fruit of enjoyment. This is like demigod worship, following the rules and rituals of, of demigod worship and different sacrifices. As opposed to, if, or if unsuccessful after a long practice of yoga, he takes his birth in a family of transcendentalists who are surely great in wisdom. So that's a higher birth than just in a family of rich aristocracy. Um, certainly such a birth is rare in this world. And then Prabhupada says, birth in a family of yogis or transcendentalists, those with great wisdom, is praised herein because the child born in such a family receives a spiritual impetus from the very beginning of life. Then he went further on to describe, fortunately, both our spiritual master, Om Vishnupad Sri Srimad Bhaktisanatta Sarasvati Goswami Maharaj, and our humble self had the opportunity to take birth in such families by the grace of the Lord. And both of us were trained in the devotional service of the Lord from the very beginning of our lives. Later on, we met by the order of the transcendental system. So what he's saying here in a very humble way is this, this whole thing is transcendental. Like his birth was transcendental, and then he met his spiritual master on the transcendental platform. So, all right. Um, last one is, there are many types of yogis, i.e. people who practice yoga. Which type of yogi does Krishna say is the best, and where does he say this? Yep. A little bit of 46 too. Yeah. And it's Bhakti Yoga. Does anybody want to read it? And then the one that I said was, And of all yogis, the one with great faith, who's, who always abides in me, thinks of me within himself, and renders transcendental loving service to me. He is the most intimately united with me in yoga. And is the highest of all. That is my opinion. It is. Yeah. It's a really good one to learn. Yeah. Because it's pretty clear. And then if you're not sure, uh, then there's this humongous Yeah, if you need a break, that's right. Rabbi is emphasizing that. Go then. <laughs> yeah. Explains the word bodge. The word bodge is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was looking yeah. for. Where is that? I found that. That's right in the purport. That's right here, brother. Yeah, that's, that's the difference between worship Bodge. and devotional service. English yeah. Word right, worship. Yeah, that's well, that really was super interesting, interesting to yeah. me. Because super anyone, you can, you know, I, when I read that, that I was almost going to choose that verse. Me too. Like, wow, that's really deep. Yeah. There's a huge difference. I didn't know that. So, do you want to read that really quick? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, where is it? It's right here. Okay, here it is. The word? The purport. He says, the word bhajate is significant here. Bhajate has its root in the verb baj, which is used when there is need of service. The English word worship cannot be used in the same sense as baj, because worship means to adore or to show respect and honor the worthy one. The reason why this is so intriguing to me, I just wanted to stop there, is because when you speak to most people, the idea of worship is the highest, the highest. thing that you, can, that you can show God. It's the highest, you know, yeah. act or it's whatever, like activity. Yoga, pretty much. But it's not. It's not. And he explains here, worship means to adore, show respect, and honor the worthy one. But service with love and faith is especially meant for the supreme personality of Godhead. So, so Prabhupada's making the distinction and saying that devotional service is only is reserved for God alone. Whereas worship, you can worship the devil. Heck, you can worship a really great personality. So he goes on to say this. 
one can avoid uh, one can avoid worshiping a respectable man or a demigod and may be called discourteous, but one cannot avoid serving the Supreme Lord without being thoroughly condemned. Every living entity is part and parcel of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and thus every living entity is intended to serve the Supreme Lord by his own constitution. Failing to do so, he falls down. The Bhagavatam confirms this as well. So, and it goes on. Yeah. But yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. He's, he's really hammering home that this is very clear what Krishna is saying what the highest yoga is. And it's not just some sort of like right. suggestion or like worship, just like worshiping right. any of the demigods, like you were saying. Right. It's, it's love and devotion to Krishna. That's, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. It's so sweet. Also, the goal is emphasized in that verse because he's saying yogi nam. You know what yoga means to link, and then he's saying you yogi nam abhisarve sharma te gatanajana shradavam bhajate vamsame yuktatamo yukta means like the goal is re-emphasize the goal is union with me. Mm-hmm. It says specifically union with me. Mataha yuktatamo mataha linking with me through this bhaj, this faith and devotion. It's very clear, but it's not clear for those who want to make God impersonal. (laughs) For the devotee, it's very, very clear. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Nice. Excellent.